The sermon text for today is Hebrews 11. Uh, We will look at verses 1 and 2, but we will read all of chapter 11 and even dip into chapter 12 a little bit. Hebrews 11, 1 through 12, 2 is the scripture reading for today. There is no Old Testament reading because of the length of this text. Hebrews 11, 1, hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is... They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, 
quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So far the reading of God's most holy word. We ask that the Lord would now add His blessing the preaching of it today. Time will not permit us to consider in detail the entirety of this passage that we've just read. It's a very long passage. I'll eventually focus my attention on verses 1 through 2 of Hebrews 11, and I'll make passing references to the remainder of the text throughout the sermon. If you have not already guessed it, the subject of today's sermon is faith. Remember what Paul said at the conclusion of 1 Corinthians 13, which we considered two Sundays ago. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. In the past two Lord's days, I've exhorted you to love one another, to hope in God. And today I wish to encourage you to persevere and to grow in your faith. For these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And they are vital to the Christian sojourner. If we wish to sojourn well in Christ, if we wish to persevere and to serve the Lord faithfully all the days of our life, as we sojourn in this world, we must be strong in faith, hope, and love. So what is faith? Stated simply, faith is trust. And we know that faith is the instrument whereby Sinners receive the gift of salvation. We talk about this a lot, don't we? How are we saved? We we are saved by the grace of God. We are saved because of what Christ has accomplished for us. But we are saved through faith. Faith is the, the instrument by which we are saved. How can a sinner be right with God? Have the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting? Can he gain that through law-keeping, by doing good works, or by performing some religious duty? The Scriptures are so very clear that salvation cannot be earned by us, but must be received by faith. Salvation is a gift from God. It cannot be earned. As the Apostle Paul teaches, if salvation were earned, it would not be a gift, but it would be a wage. You can see Romans 4 about that. Wages are earned. But gifts are freely given and they are received. A gift is received. And because salvation is a gift from God, it must also be received from Him. It cannot be earned. And so, faith is the instrument whereby sinners receive this gift of salvation. Faith is the open hand by which we receive the free gift of God offered to us in Christ Jesus. Can you picture it now? Faith is the open hand by which we receive the free gift of God offered to us in Christ Jesus. So faith, I am saying, is trust. And to be saved, sinners must trust, not in themselves, not in their own works, nor in any other created thing, but in Christ alone. And why must sinners trust in Christ alone for their salvation? And the answer is this, because He has earned it for us. Christ has earned it. Christ has earned life eternal. He has earned our salvation. He has lived a perfect life of obedience for us. He paid the price for our sins by dying in our place. He rose from the dead for us. He ascended to the Father for us. And He will return for us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He has earned our salvation. And so we must trust in Him to receive it. Faith 
is the open hand by which we received this gift of salvation from God. This is what the scriptures so clearly teach. Consider Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's so clear here. How, how can I be righteous before God? I, it, it's not a righteousness that is in me, but it is a righteousness that I receive. It, it is the righteousness of Christ received through faith, the Apostle says. Consider Romans 3, 21 through 24. Here Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So there it is again. How can we be made right with God? It is only through faith in Christ. His righteousness must be given to us. Um, we must receive this gift from Him. And then, yet again, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So, Christ has earned our salvation. Uh, this He did long ago. But we come to be saved... Through faith. And this faith is itself the free gift of God. Through faith, through faith, through faith. Uh, these three texts that we have just read all say this. It is through faith that we come to be saved. Faith is the instrument by which we receive the salvation that Christ has earned for us. Faith is the open hand by which we, re we receive this free gift of God. I've defined faith as trust. And that is what it is. Faith is trust. But more needs to be said lest we fall into error. It should be clear to all that in order for faith to be true and saving, certain truths must be known. A faith is trust, but we cannot trust without knowledge. How can you trust in someone or something that you don't know? To have true and saving faith, one must understand the basic teaching of Holy Scripture, therefore. Of course, one does not need to be a master theologian to be saved, but it is required that a person know the gospel. We must know something of who God is, of who we are, of our sin, and of God's plan of salvation in Christ Jesus. We must know who Christ is, what it is that He has done for us. We must know what we must do to be saved, etc. So knowledge is an essential element of faith. If we are to trust in someone, we must know who that person is and why it is that they are trustworthy. And so too is assent. We need knowledge, but we must also assent to that knowledge. To, to assent to something is to approve of it or to agree with it. And it should, be a clear to, it should be clear to all that for faith to be true and saving, there must be assent. Merely knowing what the Bible says about God, man, sin, and salvation in Christ Jesus does not save you. There have been many people who have studied the Scriptures and know the doctrines of Scripture very well who then say, but I don't believe it. There have, been many, many, there have been many people who have lived like this throughout the history of the world. They may readily admit that the Scriptures teach that God is triune, that man is in sin, that Christ was and is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh, that He was virgin born, that He lived a sinless life, that He died and rose again, they might confess that the Scriptures say all of that. They might even know and understand these doctrines very well. But then, if they say, I don't think it's true, they are not saved, are they? So there must be knowledge, but this knowledge must also be accompanied by assent. We must say, I know this is what the Bible teaches, and, and I agree that this, is, that this is true. I believe it in my heart that these doctrines are true. To lack assent means that we do not have true and saving faith. We have knowledge, yes, but not faith. Uh, this is merely knowledge without assent. To have true and saving faith, we must know what the Scriptures teach and assent to it or agree with the teaching of Holy Scripture. 
And so now we come full circle to trust. The one who has true and saving faith does not only know certain things, nor do they merely believe those doctrines to be true, but the one who has true and saving faith also trusts. They trust in God. They trust in His Word. They trust in the precious and very great promises that are contained within it. And ultimately, they trust in who? They trust in Christ. They trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith that is true and saving trusts. The one who has saving faith runs to Jesus Christ for refuge. The one who has true and saving faith depends upon Him, rests in Him for the forgiveness of sins and for life everlasting. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, this is not merely believing things about Him, but this is believing in Him. This is depending upon Him and and resting in Him, running to Him for refuge and, and for safety, for salvation. It is not merely facts about Jesus that must be believed. No, we must actually believe in Jesus. That is to say, we must trust in Him. So it is possible then for someone to know the Bible very well and to even assent to the teaching of Scripture, saying, I agree it is true, but to not have saving faith because there is no trust in their heart. Can you imagine how this scenario could play out? People reading their Bibles, saying, yes, I believe all of this to be true, but yet in their heart, in their mind, they trust in themselves still in their own righteousness, in their own good works. Perhaps they trust in the church. Perhaps they trust in their religious devotion. You see, their trust is is rooted in all of that. That is not true in saving faith, is it? Our our trust must be in Christ, rooted in in Christ Jesus. We must run to Him as, as Savior. Our trust must be in God, in His Word, and in the Savior that He has provided for us, Christ Jesus the Lord. This is what true and saving faith involves. So faith is the instrument through which we receive the gift of salvation. Christ earned our salvation and that salvation must be received if it is to be applied to us. How do we receive it? Not through obedience, not by going on a pilgrimage, not by giving a sum of money or making some other sacrifice. No, salvation It is not something we can earn. All of these things would be earning salvation, wouldn't they? To be saved, you must climb this this high mountain. In other words, you must earn it. To be saved, you must give so much money a year to the church. You'd be earning it. To be saved, you must participate in these religious activities. Again, earning it. All of these things are, are false. Instead, salvation comes to us through faith in Christ alone because only faith is receiving, you see. Only the act of faith is, is, is the act of receiving a gift freely offered and provided for us. Faith is that open hand by which we receive the gift of salvation. All of that that I have just said is so very important to understand. But it's really not the main point of the sermon today. So what an introduction that was, Right? Faith is the instrument by which we receive salvation. Such an important point to to understand, but it's not the main point of the sermon today. It's the introduction. Here is the thing that I want for you to notice this morning. The Christian life does not only begin with faith, it also continues in faith. The Christian life does not only begin with faith, it also continues in faith. Stated differently, not only do we come to receive the gift of salvation by faith, yes, we are justified, adopted, and sanctified the moment we believe upon Christ, we also go on to walk by faith. Faith is not something that we discard after using it to receive the gift of salvation. You see, I've received salvation by faith, now I'm done with faith. Now I go on in my own strength. No. True saving faith perseveres. True saving faith grows in the heart and mind. True saving faith produces faithfulness throughout the Christian life. The Christian begins with faith and the Christian also walks by faith and not by sight. 
Really, this is the focus of Hebrews 11. This passage is all about faith, but it's not so much about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Instead, it is about the product of faith in the life of the believer. Faith, that is true and saving faith, will persevere. And it will produce faithfulness in the life of the believer. In other words, faith that is true and saving will remain in the heart of the believer. It will grow and it will produce the fruit of of lasting obedience. And this is what Hebrews 11 is all about. Not so much the faith that receives salvation, but the faith that continues in it and grows. It is one and the same faith, of course. These are not two different faiths, but one and the same. We trust in the same God, the same promises, and the same Savior from beginning to end. But the perspective is a little bit different. The faith that receives the gift of salvation in the beginning may be described as a hand held out. But the faith that is described here in Hebrews 11 looks more like a walk. I wonder if you can see the difference between these two aspects of faith. First faith receives, then faith walks. True saving faith will involve both of these things. First we receive Christ by faith, but then we walk in Him. And this is what Paul exhorts us to do in Colossians 2, 6-7. Here now, Paul, Therefore, he says to the church in, in Colossae, Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Do you see that here in Colossians? That is Paul's concern. He's writing to Christians in this town, and he's saying to them, Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, by faith at the beginning, so now walk in Him. Evidently, this is a problem for Christians. Evidently, this is a tendency of ours to start out in faith and then to slack off, to grow weary, to lack perseverance. And so Paul is exhorting the church in Colossae to do this very thing, to continue on in the faith, to walk in Christ rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as they were taught to do. Now, it is important to distinguish between the receiving and the walking. We are saved, justified, adopted, and sanctified, not by the walking, but by the receiving alone. Did you just hear me there? What are we saved by? Are we saved by the receiving, or are we saved by the walking? We are saved only by the receiving. Remember, salvation is a gift. It's not earned. If I were to say to you, salvation is is received by the walking, then I would be saying to you, you must earn it. No, salvation is received only. It is received by faith alone, because it is a gift. But this same faith that receives the free gift of salvation will surely produce a faithful walk in us. So the receiving and the walking must be distinguished, but they cannot be divorced from one another. And again, this is why Paul said, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. They cannot be divorced from one another. The one will produce the other. We are to continue on in Christ Jesus, being rooted in Him, built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I'm afraid that many in our day emphasize the receiving, but neglect to talk about the walking Have you noticed this to be true? And so they are called to maybe walk down an aisle and to say a prayer, but they forget to urge them, and I hear I have in mind religious leaders today, to walk with Christ from that day forward. Uh, These are urged to believe in Christ, but they are not urged to then walk with Christ according to the Scriptures. The one who receives Christ Jesus as Lord is then to serve Him as Lord all the days of their life. Those who believe in Christ are to be baptized. They are to be taught to observe all that He has commanded. These are to join themselves to Christ's church. These are to have Jesus as Lord. And do not forget the warning of Christ. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do mighty works in Your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, he calls them. 
What does he mean by this? Here, religious people claim to know Jesus, you know. And he says, I never knew you because, here is the evidence of it, their lives were characterized by works of what? Not of righteousness, but of, of, of lawlessness. And so whatever faith they had, it was not true faith, for it did not produce a faithful walk, but only a sinful walk. True and saving faith first receives, then it walks. We are saved through the receiving only, and not by the walking. But true faith will produce a faithful walk. If there is no faithful walk, then one should not be sure of true and saving faith. The focus of Hebrews 11 is not the open hand of faith, but the walk of faith. The writer to the Hebrews, maybe it is Paul, I'm growing more and more convinced of that with the passing of time, is saying to us, if your faith is true, this is what it will produce. It will produce a faithful walk in you. And the Hebrew Christians to whom he was writing, they needed to hear this. They were under enormous pressure to turn back from following Christ and return to Old Covenant Judaism. The whole letter argues against this as it shows that Christ and the New Covenant inaugurated in His shed blood is far superior to the Old Covenant, for the New Covenant is a fulfillment of the Old. This is a marvelous book, by the way, one that I hope to preach through someday. But here in chapter 11, the writer of the Hebrews ceases from his theological argumentation somewhat to urge the Hebrew Christians to walk worthily by holding before them examples of the faithful men and women who had gone before them. He mentions Abel. He mentions Enoch. He mentions Abraham, Sarah, Moses, David, and others. These were all justified by faith, this we know. But these did also continue in faith. Their lives were characterized by faith. They persevered in the faith. They walked faithfully, even while suffering persecution, and even in some cases, martyrdom. They suffered faithfully because they truly believed in God in His precious and very great promises concerning Christ who would come. And their hope was set on on Him. It was set on Him, not on the things of this world. It was set on Christ and in the inheritance that is theirs in Him. It's truly a marvelous chapter and one that's worthy of very careful consideration. And Lord willing, we'll come back to it someday to consider this chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, very carefully. But I would like to turn our attention now to the first two verses where faith, that is the faith that resides in the heart of the believer, the faith by which we are saved and now walk, is is defined. There we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And I'd like to spend the remainder of this sermon considering these two verses and the definition that is given to faith here. Remember, it is not so much faith that receives that is being described, but faith that walks. And and therefore, the definition that is given fits that idea. First, we learn that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Do you remember what hope is? We defined hope last Sunday as the expectation of some good thing. Hope is always forward-looking, remember. Once we receive the thing we hope for, the hope disappears. It's no longer hope, for we have that thing as our own. And yes, we noted that people hope for all kinds of things. They hope for a pay raise. They hope for a better life in the future. They hope for better health, etc. But this is not what we are talking about here. Uh, Hope that is mentioned here is, is clearly Christian hope. It is hope not for earthly things, nor for sinful things, but for the things of God. It is a hope rooted not in our passions and desires, but in God and for the things that He has promised to us in His Word. That is what hope has reference to here. Future blessings, future things, but the things that God has promised to us in His Word. I wonder if you could see the difference between the two kinds of hope. Some who are sinful will read the words, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And they will think, If only I believe, then I will have the desires of my heart met. Have you ever encountered this way of thinking? You know, now That's what matters, that I believe. And if I believe, then I will have the desires of my heart met. And it is no wonder that so many feel as if God has let them down in this life. 
They hoped in God for a time. But instead of hoping in God, believing that He would accomplish His will and keep His promises, they hoped that God would accomplish their will and fulfill their desires. And so it is no wonder they are disenchanted now, for they have expected things from God which He never promised. This is such a problem in the world, of course. It's even a problem within the church. People hope for things that God has never promised. And then they are disappointed when things don't go as they expected them to go. You may read the remainder of Hebrews 11 again to see what these people of old hoped for. What did they hope for? You'll quickly see that it was not earthly comfort. It was not prosperity. It was not safety. If this is what they hoped for, then they would not have followed after God because they suffered in this world. No, their hope was set in God, in Christ, and in the life to come. Their hope was rooted in God and in His Word, in the promises that He has made. And that is why they endured much suffering, you see. Abel hoped in Christ and for the forgiveness of sins that is found in Him when He offered up that bloody sacrifice on the altar in obedience to the command of God. He knew that the forgiveness of sins would come through bloody atonement, and so he worshipped God according to God's command and with faith in his heart. God received him, and his brother, being driven by jealousy, killed him. Abel's hope was not set here on earth, but in God and in the Christ that he had promised. Abraham forsook the pleasures of this world. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Do you hear that word, promise? A reference to the promises that God had made. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What an interesting phrase there. What was this promise that Abraham believed in. It was the promise of God given to him earlier. And what city was he looking forward to? Not an earthly city, but the new heavens and new earth later on that is made clear in Hebrews 11. The hope mentioned in verse 1 has to do not with any and every wish of ours, but hope in the promises of God concerning a Savior, the forgiveness of sins, and the new heavens and new earth. Again, here at Abraham did what he did, he walked by faith because he understood and hoped in the promises of God and looked forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Again, see the remainder of Hebrews um, in this chapter. See Hebrews 12, 22 and 13, 14 to know that this is no reference to an earthly city, but to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the new heavens and new earth. So it was this, this hope set in the promises of God concerning things eternal, that propelled Abraham to live as he lived. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, just think of this for a moment. You remember Abraham was born a Hebrew, but he was adopted into Pharaoh's own family. Uh, What did I say? I meant Moses. Thank you. Appreciate that. Moses. I mean, he was living a life of pure luxury there in Egypt, wealthy beyond our wildest imaginations, you know. And he turned it all down, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Listen to this, Hebrews 11. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward... The reproaches of Christ, Christ wasn't born yet, right? But that's what Moses was hoping in. The Christ, the Messiah that had been promised to Adam and to Abraham. He he was hoping in the Christ. And when he left Pharaoh's house with all of that wealth and prosperity and comfort to go wander in the wilderness and and to suffer there a hard life and to identify with the Hebrew people eventually leading them out, he was suffering for Christ's sake. That sounds like a New Testament thing to say, right? No, this is Old Testament stuff. He was suffering for the sake of Christ when he did this. Again, my point is, his hope was not in earthly things, but in God and in the promises of God concerning a Redeemer to come in the new heavens and new earth that would be earned by that Redeemer, the Messiah, the Christ. Verses 13 through 16 prove the point, saying, These all died in faith, not receiving the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. How did they view the earth and their life here on earth? They were just strangers and exiles. 
For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, if, if, if Abraham was desiring comfort, prosperity, safety here on earth, if that's what his hope was set on, then he would have turned around really quickly after setting out on that journey and he would have went back home to Mesopotamia, you know? But his hope was not there. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city, a heavenly one. So what moved all of these heroes of the faith to, to live as they did? What propelled them to live in obedience to God and to suffer here on earth, even to the point of death? What did it? It was this hope that they had in God and in the promises of God. It was this faith that they possessed. Clearly, when the writer of the Hebrews speaks of hope, he does not mean whatever hopes and dreams happen to reside within our heart, but rather the believer's hope in God and the promises of God in Christ and of all the benefits that He has earned for us. The hope that is mentioned here is hope in something particular. It is not nebulous and undefined hope, nor is hope determined by the passions and pleasures of fallen men. No, it is hope in God and His precious and very great promises in Christ and what He has earned for us. Now, I belabor this point a little, maybe a lot, because I do believe this is a real problem today. Men and women have gotten the impression that God has promised them things like health, wealth, and prosperity in this life, which He has not He has promised to protect us from all harm, they think. And then, when my loved one dies, or my health deteriorates, I begin to struggle, right? Because I have believed a lie. Um, You begin to struggle physically. You begin to struggle financially. And you come to this conclusion, because you have believed a lie. God has let me down. He has not kept His promises to me. What is the problem with this way of thinking? Simply this, never has God promised His people health, wealth, and prosperity. Never has He promised to keep them from all harm. I wonder if you've ever read the Scriptures, friends. Did you hear about what happened to Abel? You know? Have you considered the trouble that Abraham and David faced? Think of what the prophets of old endured. Think of how the world treated Christ. Think of how the world treated His apostles. So no, the problem is not with God and His faithfulness, but with you and your expectations. He will keep every one of His promises. Not one will fail. But you need to pay careful attention to what He has said in His Word. Christ was very honest with us. He spoke to His disciples in this way, I think, to guard them against unrealistic expectations, saying, I have said these things to you, that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's very honest, isn't it? Just so you don't get the wrong idea, disciples of mine. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Uh, the new heavens and new earth are not here yet. Okay, You're going to sojourn. You will suffer. Some of you will die because of your testimony from me. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I'm, I'm victorious over all of these things. You know, if I tell my child I will take them to get ice cream today, I'm not committing to anything. <laughs> And then I do not, okay? Then I am rightly accused of letting them down, of being unfaithful, unreliable. But if I make no such commitment, then I cannot be accused of letting them down. Their disappointment may be real, but they have no right to accuse me of unfaithfulness. And so it is with you and God. Perhaps you have experienced great heartaches and disappointments in this life. The sorrow that you feel concerning those things is perfectly legitimate. Perfectly legitimate. And it is right for you to take that sorrow, that heartache, to God. Run to Him with it. But I am sure of this, you will not come to Him if you think He is the one who has let you down. Will you? Instead, your heart will grow hard towards God, and you will run away from Him. So be very careful to understand what God has promised you and what He has not, lest you blaspheme the name of God by imputing unfaithfulness to the one who is ever faithful. 
Be very careful about this. So then, hope in this passage has reference to God and to the promises of His Word. And we are told that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So, so there is a relationship between faith and hope. Clearly, that is the case. Hope is forward-looking. It is the expectation of having something good. In this case, it is the expectation of fellowship with God in the new heavens and earth through Christ. So the things that we hope for are often the future, but faith is the present assurance of these things that we hope for. Faith reaches out and grabs a hold of these future blessings and brings them into our hearts so that they are in fact ours today. There's a relationship between faith and hope, but they're not the same thing. Hope is often the future, but faith grabs a hold of these future blessings and promises, these future hopes, and brings them into the present so that they reside really and truly in our hearts now, today. Faith is the assurance today of things that we hope for in the future. That is the ESV's rendering of the Greek. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's a fine translation. I'm not being critical of it. But I think I do prefer the New King James in this instance, which I grew up with. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the New King James says. When will we enjoy the substance of the things that we hope for? It's kind of a trick question, actually. When will we enjoy the substance of the things that we hope for? Well, ultimately, we will only enjoy the substance of the things that we hope for when they come. We will enjoy the substance of the new heavens and new earth when we are there with God and in His presence. We will enjoy all of that then. But what Paul is saying to us here, or the writer of the Hebrews, whichever you prefer, um, he's saying to us that what faith does is it takes these future hopes that are off, off in the distance from us and it grabs a hold of them and brings them into the present, into our heart now, so that we have the substance of them today. That is what faith does. When will we enjoy the substance of these things that we hope for? Well, when they come, but we hope. But, but, but by faith, we, we have these things as ours even now. The, by faith, the believer enjoys the substance of these future blessings today. I think this is marvelous to consider. And I think you can see how faith in the heart will produce a faithful walk in us. Because we will not be living for the things of this earth, but we will be living for the world to come, these hopes that are ours even now. The Apostle then goes on to add these words, Faith is the conviction of things not seen. This statement is very similar to the previous one, but it's not exactly the same. Things not seen, that encompasses more than the phrase things hoped for. We do not see the things that we hope for with our eyes, do we? We hope for the new heavens and earth. Do you, new earth. Do you see them yet? No, they're invisible to us. We hope for uh, the, the glory of God, enjoying His presence forever and ever. Do you see that now? No, we, we don't see the glory of God manifest now. Uh, we hope for things, and we do not see them. But there are other things that we do not see either, things that have happened in the past, and things that are even present realities. Consider, for example, the creation of the world. Um, were you there to witness the creation of the world? You, you were not. No one was, in fact. Uh, not even the angels were there to uh, witness that immediate creation of the, the heavens and the earth. Only God was there. So these are things that we do not see. They're not future hopes. They're events that took place in the past. But do you believe that God created the heavens and earth in six days and on the seventh day rested? Yes, we believe it because faith, by faith, we, we have this assurance of, of things that we, that we do not see. What about the sovereignty of God? Do you, do you see God seated on His throne? I know you cannot see it, but we believe that God is sovereign over all things. Do you believe that Christ rose from the dead? You did not see it with your eyes, but we believe that He was raised and that He has ascended to the Father's right hand. So uh, these are similar ideas that, uh, that, 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 that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the assurance of things not seen. Similar ideas, but things not seen accompany, uh, encompasses, encompasses more. Um, things past, realities in the present. Faith grabs a hold of these things that we do not see and makes them our own so that we are assured of them 
even now. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And in verse 2, we read, For by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. People of old. That also might be translated as elders. And the context makes it clear who the writer is referring to. He means the faithful who lived under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, in times past. And what follows is a sampling of them, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, etc. But the point is this. These Old Covenant saints received their commendation from God by faith. That is how they did it. They lived with this assurance of things hoped for and this confidence of things not seen. And it produced a faithful walk in them leading to commendation from God. Other translations say approval or a good testimony or a good report. Again, this is not about justification. This is about a faithful walk. This is about God looking down upon the life of Abel, looking down upon the life of Noah and of Abraham and commending them for their faithfulness. What produced the faithful walk in them? What produced it? It was this substance of things hoped for in their heart. Faith that produced it. It was this assurance of things not seen. Faith that produced the faithful walk. If I put it into question form, it will become very clear what propelled these people of old, again, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and all the rest, to live these faithful lives, lives that God commanded and approved of and commended. It was faith in their hearts. These people really hoped in the promises of God, so much so that they possessed the substance of those promises in their hearts, even as they sojourned on earth. They were truly convinced of God's promises, of the coming of Christ, of the salvation that He would bring, and of the new heavens and new earth. In fact, they were convinced of many other things that they could not see with their physical eyes. The creation of the heavens and earth out of nothing, the existence of God and His sovereignty over all things, etc. They had faith. They had real deal faith in their hearts. And they walked by this faith and not by, this, and not by sight. To bring all of it home, uh, brothers and sisters... I will ask you this. Who in their right mind would choose to endure persecution or even martyrdom to abandon the treasures and pleasures of this world, to stand alone with the whole world against you and for the sake of Christ? Who in their right mind would choose to do this? Answer, only those who have real deal faith. If you do not have the assurance of the precious and very great promises of God in your heart, and if you are not convinced of the truthfulness of the things that God has revealed in His Word, things that you cannot see with your physical eyes, then you will not walk faithfully, my friends. You will not. You will not persevere in the face of hardship, in the face of persecution, and neither will you be commended by God. You may appear to walk faithfully for a time, but the trials and tribulations of this life or the threats of the loss of the treasures and pleasures of this world will soon derail you. They will. And so, brothers and sisters, the message is this. Be sure that you are strong in the faith today. Be sure that you are strong in the faith today. That is what Paul commands in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, saying, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. What a wonderful exhortation here. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, he says to the, to the church in Corinth. Yes, faith is a gift from God, but the Scriptures do also call us to grow strong in the faith and to, and to persevere in it. And this will require you to examine yourself. Paul commands this in 2 Corinthians 13.5, saying, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, test yourselves, he says. The Lord's Day Sabbath is a wonderful day for self-examination. And so examine yourselves today to see whether you are in the faith. Is your faith strong or is it weak? And be resolved, brothers and sisters, to continue in the faith steadfast. Paul commands this in Colossians 1, 21-23, saying, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... 
He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So persevere, brothers and sisters. Yes, I do know this is true. God will preserve all who are in Him. But He will do this in part through the exhortation of the Scriptures to persevere. And so I do say to you what the Scriptures say. Persevere in Christ. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And so then, how can you grow strong in the faith? One, by knowing God's Word and the precious and very great promises that are contained with in it. Read God's Word, brothers and sisters. Be eager to hear the Word preached and taught. If you wish to grow stronger in the faith, then take advantage of every opportunity to hear the Word of God read, preached, and taught. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen says. This is the teaching of Scripture. How does faith come? How does it grow? By hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. That is Romans 15.4. How does our hope and our faith grow? It's through the Scriptures. And so read and hear the Word of God taught and preached. Two, daily clothe yourself with the whole armor of God so that you might fight the fight of faith. And we know that it's through prayer that we clothe ourselves for this battle. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters, clothe yourself with the arm of God daily and be sure that you are praying daily. Pray throughout the day. Say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, O Lord. Strengthen my faith. Three, be mindful of the schemes of the evil one whose highest aim it is to destroy whatever faith you have. Do not be naive concerning his schemes. And lastly, lean upon one another in the church. This is our responsibility within the church, one of them at least, to encourage one another in the faith. Paul and his, companion, his companions traveled from region to region and from church to church to minister the Word of God in those places. And I'd like for you to listen to how his ministry is described in Acts 14.21. And with this we close. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, to the church there, to the churches there. And this is what they did. They strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Dear brothers and sisters, let us continue in the faith, for faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen, and by it we will receive our commendation from God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for drawing us to faith in Christ. We thank you for the justification that is ours, the adoption that is ours, the sanctification that is ours in Him. And we do ask that you would help us, O oh God, as your children, to walk worthily in this world. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, we confess to you that we believe and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help our unbelief, O oh Lord. Strengthen our faith so that it might produce a faithful walk within us, even in the face of difficulty, O God. May our hope be in you and in you alone, the precious promises of your word, and in Christ who has earned our salvation for us. It's in his name that we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.